Hello, welcome back to True Crime Guys Podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Michael. How's everybody doing? We're back. I'm back from vacation, ready to cover a murder mystery for you fellas and ladies. Oh, we got a good one. We got a good one, man. A little yeah. a little uh, trials at the workplace in this one. Right. Right? Business partners. A lot partners. of sneaky shit going on. Business partners. Oof. Who it's, knows what, where our relationship will be, Michael, if we're business partners for 30 years doing this. Who I knows? It doesn't look you. good. Yeah, it doesn't look good, man. Who knows? Yeah. Let's just right. agree to never take out life insurance policies on each other. That's right. I think that's where people go wrong. Right. If, if you're not worth anything, why would they want to kill you? Yeah, you're worth more to me alive, Lauren, to be honest. So I don't think you have to worry about that. Yeah, I feel the same way. Because, like, oh, good. although we would, we'd probably still have a good amount of people listen if one of us dropped out and it was just one of us doing it, I think it would yeah. we would lose a considerable amount of listenership. Because there's Michael people, there's Lauren people, and there's people that just like the two of us together, the dynamic. And uh, Right. Yeah. I mean, we don't want to disappoint anyone at this right. point. <laughs> Yeah, I, but I this agree. couple was. Let's, uh, let's long keep it that way. Let's make food. it. Let's keep it to where we're more valuable with each other alive than dead. I agree. That's a great plan. Deal. Shake on it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. You ready to get into this? Uh, let's do this. At right. Al Zulo's, the don't move improve folks, where, where one, one call, call does, does it all. all does it all. One call does it all Downs another sleeping pill and starts to fall On the sofa, but it's on fire One call does it all You want the best deal, you know who to call Top salesman every year since he was hired One call does it all she said he couldn't cut it, so he started to fall Into a spiraling state of revenge One call does it all You think Zulo would be proud of y'all And the way his business came to an end One call does it all he threw him from the bridge, watched the secrets fall Only to land on a piece of ice One call does it all He probably shit a brick when he got the call And his reputation wasn't all that nice One call does it all Gonna hang it up, call it a curtain until she was murdered in the hall Cause one call Oh, a curtain call Alright, for our case this week, we're going to Illinois. Illinois, it's been a while. Uh, I think it was like a little bit, it's a... Town a little bit west of Chicago, right? Loves Park, Illinois. Yeah, Loves Park. And part of this story takes place in Rockford, too, which is probably, I think that's the only town in Illinois I know I've been for sure. Yeah. Okay. That's kind of a more major, larger city, right? And Loves, Loves Park was like a, it seems like it was a smaller town yeah. not far from Rockford. We have a couple of main study sources for this case that we used. Uh, television episode of Murder in the Heartland, season two, episode five, titled Bad for Business. And also, 
uh, every great true crime thing should have a Forensic Files episode. That's what got me into <laughs> true crime was Forensic right. Files. I love everything about it. And there's an episode on this case, season 13, episode one, titled Frozen Assets. They always have the great titles, too. Oh, yeah. You got you to have the play on words. That's, that's just a true right. crime must, right? So that's a, that's a little bit of foreshadowing there, Frozen Assets. But it is Illinois, and yep. it gets cold in Illinois. That's no secret. Yeah, and ice plays a major role oh, in this one. Yes, yes, it does. And you may be thinking that the, 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 the person that was murdered was frozen or something. That's not it. It's, ah. it's, it's a much funnier thing that happened. <laughs> it's much funnier involving ice, no doubt. <laughs> no, right. Which we usually can't say in a murder. But uh, yeah, in this case, right. in this strange case. Yeah. So let's talk about a business. Uh, we alluded to business partners and things like that. Uh, this, this case is centered around a business called Alzulo Remodeling Specialists. Um, and in, in this business, uh, there was the owner, Al Zulo, who owned, you know, be, started the business and took in some employees. Mm-hmm. And he was a, a great business owner, a small business owner, and that d- did what most people ho- hope that a small business owner does and like promotes from right. within and gives, you know, his good employees opportunities the and eventually leaves the business to the great employees that he has. And that's exactly what Al Zulo did. It seemed like a, a small right guy. Yeah. He had two employees that he really loved and trusted and you know we're yep. already big parts of the company, and that just makes sense to let them, especially when they were yep. handling different parts of the company. Exactly. They 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 began to run this this company after Al Zulu would pass away. He would hand over the business to two benefactors of this, Marianne Clibbery and George Hansen. They were partners in the Loves Park Illinois company, named after the original owner Al Zulu. Before he died in two thousand, he decided to leave the business to Marianne and George to reward their loyalty. Wow. So. That's hell of a um, reward. She had started there. Marianne had started there as a secretary in 1959, and uh, George had gotten on board at some point in the 1960s, and together they would run this business successfully for the, for the next 30-plus years. Um, at Alzulo Remodeling Specialist, George Hansen handled sales, and Marianne Clibbery did, did the finances. George did a lot more than just sales. He he was doing estimates and he would go out and he was basically he was the like face. the contractor, the, the general contractor for yeah. the company, I, I would say. Like he would go and just like make sure that the workers were doing everything right and all the nuts and bolts of the operation, whereas Marianne was on the back end dealing with all the, the complicated financial stuff of running a business properly without, you know, right. when, screwing up on taxes and yeah, all that Yeah, when you stuff. say George handled sales, that's a very broad term <laughs> for sure. Yeah. yeah, he was the face of the company. He was out there. He was probably going out and giving people yeah. quotes, you know, and working with people on the front. I lines. would say they both were because they were. They also had the local local TV commercials for businesses oh, that's true. that we're all familiar with. No matter where you live, you you know that the corny local business commercials <laughs> that come on all the time. Yes. You know, we get uh, just bombarded with them, mainly being uh, local attorney law firms and stuff like. Uh, accident oh, attorneys yeah. in Vegas. Like, it, it's funny because the yes, yeah, the quote. I think most major cities are like that. It's like you, you just get bombarded with uh, attorney commercials. But uh, it's funny because the, their their catchphrase for Alzulo remodeling specialists on the TV commercials that they would do all yeah. the time. They 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 were just one of these businesses. They were just always doing advertising, <laughs> and uh, you would see both Marianne and George in these commercials. And their their catchphrase was "One call does it all." That's it. And it's it's hilarious because I talk about. You know, local uh, attorneys and stuff, and all their commercials. And we have a guy, Glenn Lerner, <laughs> in Las Vegas, who I've just grown up getting annoyed by. Dude, his One call, that's no, all. I'm the heavy hitter, Glenn Lerner. Glenn Lerner is uh, his law offices are nationwide. I'm sure we have listeners all 
they went nationally. They started yeah, in Vegas. They started in really Vegas, and I think up, he yeah. is in Vegas. But he has law offices nationwide, and he's on those commercials all over the place. All over really? the place, yes. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the heavy yeah. hitter. He always always do the commercials where he's swinging a bat yeah. and stuff, and he's, he's all like steroided up. Oh, yeah. It's a defense attorney, bro. You got to be intimidating. Don't sue me, Glenn. <laughs> Allegedly on steroids. Allegedly, yeah. And I'm sure he's on the Don't good stuff, me, if he is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The heavy, yeah, the heavy hitter. hitter. Um, so, yeah. Uh, they, Marianne was uh, described as a great person, a mother and friend. She was good with people, kind-hearted, and would go out of her way to help people. George uh, didn't have the same oh, reputation. No? He was more hard-nosed, get the business done, kind of grumpy at times but their business dynamic worked i was about to say to be fair you kind of need three decades need both those people there was a yin and yeah. yang to that i suppose yeah right? because if you're if they're both like that your employees are going to run over you but if you have you know if you play yeah. good boss True. bad boss you know you can kind of give employees what they want but also you don't get run over at the same time yeah exactly Marianne had worked for everything she had and once uh, she had everything she gave it back to people who needed it she was known to um, take money out of her own wages to give to uh, employees under her. If they, you know, if they requested a raise or if they something happened with their their check, if there was a delay, she would pay them out of her own pocket at times. Wow, kind of like front them the money until <laughs> payday. Well, she knew the yeah. finances. She knew she's gonna get hers. <laughs> yeah, right. I was like, you could just give them their check early, or give them, or pay them more. I mean, you are the boss. Well, and also we're going to go into her background, and she she was a widow, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure how that worked out. If she got a, some sort of a life insurance payout from her, you know, former husband, right. or um, if she was left, you know, some sort of a large stipend right, from that. Right. Um, but let's get into her background yeah. real quick. Born Marianne Romaine uh, on May 21st, 1935. She shares a birthday with an amazing group, dude. Amazing. This is. Uh, the notorious B.I.G. Mister T. Chris Benoit and Josh no Allen way. Uh, of the Buffalo Bills, fantastic fantasy quarterback. Yeah, seriously, what a group. Chris, Chris what Benoit, a group. We got, rest uh, his soul, right? Yeah, somebody that we'll probably end up doing a case on I at some so. point, Chris Benoit, who unfortunately you know, had a, suffered a lot of brain trauma over the years of, of wrestling and unfortunately killed himself and his family. Yeah. We definitely um, need to cover that. But man, but, notorious B.I.G. tops the list, hands down. I mean, legend. Yeah, absolute legend. Absolutely. And then you have Mr. T. Pity, Pity the, fool. the fool, man. Household name, probably the most famous person on this list for sure. Oh you yeah. Think so? Uh, it, I'd have to go B.I.G. No, you know, no. Across generations, you show a picture of Mr. T to my grandfather, he knows who yeah, he is. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I suppose that mohawk. Yeah. Oh, and he's definitely earring. gonna know who he is. Yeah, but if you if you show him the notorious B.I.G., it's nah, he ain't gonna know. He don't know nothing about Biggie. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so she was born, uh, Marianne was born in 1935. Um, she had grown up in a family of five children who lived in the projects of Chicago, then moved to a house with no hot water in Rockford, Illinois. So came from very humble beginnings and worked her way up to being a co-owner in a successful business for many yeah, years. Yeah, man, she was, no hot um, water in Rockford. That sucks. I, I just wouldn't shower in the winter. Yeah. Like, nah, <laughs> I'm good. It's freezing there. I also feel like she was born in 1935. I mean, that was like, I feel like not having yeah, hot you just water heat it up on the stove. As, a, as a young you a girl bath. and when you were grown up in the 40s is probably more run of the mill than anything yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Heat it up on the stove. You, you, you pour you a bath. You, you can make it. 
right? <laughs> God, that would take so long. Just it would, one kettle the at a time. pot that you warmed up, the first pot that you warmed up and put in the bath would be cold by the time the second pot was ready. <laughs> yeah. Fuck that. It might take a minute, dude. It might take a minute. I'm just like, I'm taking a cold Fuck bath. It. Fuck it. It's better for your skin anyways. Spray me with, spray me <laughs> with the hose once a week. That'll be good enough. Exactly. So Marianne would go on to have five children of her own and two marriages. At least one of her husbands left her widowed, and it's not clear whether she divorced or pa- uh, he passed away uh, as far as the mm-hmm. other one. So she had two husbands. Not that there was anything. And one of them passing away. So she may have been financially set from, I'm not, there's very little information on her first two marriages, all except that one of them passed away. So she may have gotten some sort of a payout from that. Right. That's why she was comfortable financially to help out people around her and stuff. Mm, that makes sense. And I wonder if that payout would have been affected by the fact, like say she got married again, would she still be entitled to that payout, I wonder? Would that matter? I don't think that would matter, right? No, of course not. Now, if she, if, let's say she got a life insurance payout. Yeah, like marrying again it won't doesn't ma- matter yeah, at all. Of course, all. it won't matter in that instance. Yeah. Okay, because yeah, she was with her boyfriend at this time. That for that that, years. That, I, that would apply if like there were you're talking like alimony or something yeah. like that. I think if you, yeah, yeah, true that. If you have a a living ex who you depended on financially and you get money every month and then you find a new. Uh, supporter, supporter yeah. financially, a new husband or a new wife or something like that. And that could have been the case because we don't really know, right, what happened with her last right. husband. That could have been the case with her second husband. Right, exactly, like because it's just funny that she doesn't get married to uh, Harold and they were together for, what, over 12 years? Yeah, that's true. The boyfriend that she was with at the time, which, but I mean, it's just a piece of paper, you know what I mean? At that point, they're pro- she's probably like, I've been married twice, you know, I better not hex you, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, let's just, let's yeah, just enjoy she, each other's company for the rest of our life. I understand that as well. Right. Yeah, her and Harold Jean Sun- Sundin, who she was uh, dating at the time this case takes place, um, I think they were, they were both up there in age. They'd lived a lot yeah. of life. They'd been married. They'd done a whole all of that, and they were just like happy to be let's, with each other. And they didn't need exactly. The, they didn't need the binding contract or anything. Let's like keep that. each other company and help each other out for the rest of our lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So by two thousand four, uh, Marianne not in a marriage anymore, but it had a long term serious boyfriend in Harold Jean Sundin, with whom she'd been with for twelve years. And age, at age 69, she was thinking about retiring, retiring from the business. That, man, that's just... So close. I hope to be well done by 69. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jeez, I hope you know so, I mean? too. That's just, but I guess if you enjoy your work, which it seemed like she mm-hmm. did, then if you enjoy what you do, you never work a day Yeah, in your but life, she also say. was handed a big responsibility, you know, early on. I mean, I know she, I'm sure she did yeah. enjoy her work, but I mean, she had employees that, it's just like, you go from being an employee to, okay, here you go, all these employees count on you now. Good luck. Right. You know, it's it's kind of hard. Yeah. It's kind of hard to just abandon them, especially someone someone like Marianne, who cared about people, who was empathetic, mm-hmm. you know? So Yeah. So, as we mentioned, by 2004, she was planning on retiring. Sadly, she never got the chance, and that's why we're covering this case. Marianne... After working at Al Zulo's remodeling specialist for over thirty over three decades, rather than riding off into the sunset and enjoying her golden years of retirement um, as she planned, she was bludgeoned to death oh. in the very place she had worked all those years. Three days before Christmas, on December twenty second, two thousand four, an employee of Al Zulo named Randy arrived at the store at around seven a.m. to start his shift. Uh, he found George Hansen sitting in the parking lot and also saw Marianne's car in the parking lot. George and a- George and Randy walked around to the back. So you you got to think maybe the place 
is opening at eight or nine a.m. The employees get there an hour early to get everything right. going. Um, it's not necessarily out of the norm for a few of them to meet in the parking lot and go open up together. Right. George and George and Randy walked around the back and found the the uh, door, the back door to the business, open and unlocked. Then they saw Marianne lying face down in the hallway, covered in blood. Uh, Randy would call nine one one. He said that Marianne had been hit in the head and wasn't breathing. He can be heard saying, she's gone, George. Mm. The Loves Park Police Department arrived at the scene and found that Marianne had been bludgeoned several times in the head. Her skull had been caved in, and there was blood spatter all over. Uh, Investigators determined that she had sustained three blows to the back of the head, plus other blunt force trauma inflicted during two separate attacks. And the way that they knew there was two separate attacks was there was uh, blood that was coagulated, and then there was fresh blood over 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 the top top of that. So this was apparently someone had, you know, done an initial attack thought that she was dead walked away to do other things this building was ransacked there was drawers and everything all open apparently some sort of a robbery appeared because Um, of the because of the blood coagulation that they could tell that the attacks took place about 15 minutes apart which is pretty strange that's crazy that they can determine that time period right like that's how advanced it is when it comes to like right the time periods of blood yeah i mean you're talking 2004 uh, here so yeah, they, they, they definitely yeah, got that new. knowledge in 2004. They crack in this case. Yeah. <clears throat> it's just amazing to me down to the minute that they can oh, do that. Yeah. You know? But it, super, it very much uh, helped tell this story of this case. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the killer had apparently, as we mentioned, hit Marianne, attacked her again when they realized she wasn't dead. They estimated that she was killed at around 4 to 5 p.m. the night before. Right so after she'd work. she'd been there uh, lying dead on the floor all night long. Um, wow. Marianne's boyfriend, who we, we talked about, you know, who was an older man, uh, he was distraught. Harold, he quotes, says, uh, I remember the dress she wore on our first date. It was blue with white polka dots. This poor old man. like you, He just, needed her. That's one of the things that stick out about this case. He was, he was interviewed in the, the, like, the specials that were done, like the cold case files. Just the sweetest old man and just absolutely crestfallen after this. Like, absolutely. Never uh, got with anyone ever again. He passed away, I think, in 2019. Um, single and he alone. He was dependent on her just, in a lot of ways, man. He really, he really needed her. Yeah. His eyesight was failing, which they talked about, you know, in the documentary. Yeah. Um, and that's tough. I mean, aging without someone to be your eyes, without someone to help you, and I'm sure you know he did things for her as well. That can more than anything, the companionship, right, exactly. You know? And I mean, at that point in your life where you, you, you know, <laughs> that just seems where everybody dips out. You know what I'm saying? If he doesn't have any kids of his own doesn't have any family of his own. Yeah, I was going to say, you're, you get to that age where you'd like to think that your grandkids are going to come see you regularly and stuff, but they got a lot going exactly. on. Exactly. Their lives are just getting started. You know. Like you, you feel selfish asking them to yeah. come visit you. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Meanwhile, Marianne's son, Robert Clear, uh, who was a mailman, was working on his route when his supervisor told him about his mother's murder. Tough thing to find out when you're out on your mail route, for sure. Absolutely. Um. Marianne would have a well-attended funeral mass take place in St. Anthony's Catholic Church while the police uh, frantically searched to find, you know, clues to who, it, who may have done right. this. As for the culprit in the brutal murder, everyone's first thought was that it was a random attack due to the circumstances. Yeah, it seems that way. Loves and the Park. door was open. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was unlocked. Yeah. There was no one yeah. there. And Marianne, as we'll find out, had stayed late that yeah. night. So was it possible that, you know, she was late working that night and someone... Uh, found an, a door unlocked in the back. Maybe she had left the door unlocked because that's where she she left from right. at night before she locked it. You know, on her way out. Makes perfect sense. Um, 
and Love's Park was near Rockford, Illinois, and Rockford was known at the time to have gang activity, drugs, prostitution. Um, the police were well aware of uh, drug, uh, you know, different crim- criminal activity that had gone on in Rockford. Right, right. Um, and it was a close, short drive away from Love's Park. So the police would even go into lo- two local motels in Rockford, uh, nearby Love's Park, and get every name uh, of everyone staying in the hotels there at the time to kind of look over who was there. Was there anyone with a uh, violent criminal history? Right. You know, just looking for potential That just leads. seems like such a crazy Another first pos- step to me. Right? To just go down the yeah, road? I don't know. I, I just that. feel like you guys don't even really know the crime scene yet. Maybe maybe they did at the time, right. but I, I don't know. It just seems odd to me. It's like, let me go down the road and just check all these all these uh, seedy hotels <laughs> to see who's in there. Right. I thought, yeah, I mean, that, that kind of breaks the rule of what I've been told a million times in studying true crime and, and the way the detectives operate, which is you start closest, you start at the epicenter, right. and then you kind of work your way Why, out from there, right? They're starting at the outside. Yeah, working their way first. in. That <laughs> does seem, yeah. Uh, and especially when you see the way this thing ends up, it's like, yeah, you should have started nearest and then worked Absolutely. your way out. Um, another possible motive was robbery. There were drawers and cabinets pulled uh, pulled out in the store, and Marianne's purse was missing. Um, however, it was determined by police that they, they believe this was uh, a, a staged crime scene due to the fact that all of the electronics in the building, things that were easily removable and also quite valuable right. at the time, were left in place. And although drawers and all this stuff were left open, not much was taken. It was basically just Mary Ann's purse was taken. Almost nothing else from the building was taken. Yeah, that's super surprising yeah. because anyone who's coming in to rob a business in the financial office, they have to know that those computers are worth more than what the computer is worth. It's the Especially information in 2004. on the computer. And yeah. Nowadays, I feel like you might leave computers like they're, I don't know, electronics have become so mm-hmm. cheap now, but I remember in the early 2000s, like a computer was ex- expensive. You could take it to a pawn shop and get a good payout. Right. Nowadays, I don't feel like you're going to get more than 50 bucks for most devices. I had like a MacBook that I brought to Best Buy and they offered me like 20 bucks. I'm like, are you fucking serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, well, I could see it now, but in, two, in the early 2000s, that stuff was the first stuff to go, was the electronics Absolutely. and things like that. And like I said, if, if not for just the value of the electronics, for the value of the information that's on the electronics, like they're not exactly. stupid. They see the checkbooks out there. They would see all that stuff. They would know, okay, this is, this is an accounting office. You know, They probably have sensitive account information from other businesses on here. If I'm a, if I'm a criminal, that's one of the first things I'm going to take. You know, That just yeah. makes sense. But and, and the jewelry as well. That's yeah, just an easy. That's an easy uh, lift oh, right there. Oh, the jewelry. That's, yeah, that's a weird sign. Yeah, exactly. You already got up close and personal with yeah. her. You already bludgeoned her to death. Like, why wouldn't you take the expensive, valuable exactly. jewelry? Exactly. Um. So yeah, they they determined it was most likely a staged crime scene based off the fact that computers, laptops, blank checks were all found in Mary's office, and she still had her expensive jewelry on. Uh, they then turned to Marianne's coworkers and ex-coworkers. First, they talked to Randy, who was one of the two men that had uh, first entered the building and found uh, Marianne mm-hmm. dead um, on the night of the murder. Uh, so the night before he came into work that next morning, he had quite an odd alibi for the night that she was killed. He said that he was at home sick, and yet he was at work the next morning. Well, I, I mean, maybe he just quite maybe strange. he left work early Friday. Just you know. Yeah, maybe he was quote unquote sick, like many of us say uh-huh. when we're yeah, not at when work. You don't, or when you just want to leave, you know, you're just like, I'm just over it today. Right. I am sick. I am definitely sick. Or maybe he's one of those dicks that actually was sick and still came to work to get everyone else sick. Oh, the next yeah, morning. yeah. He could have been. 
could have been one of those people too. All of these are very possible. We all work with people that would do oh, this no stuff. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Jesus. <laughs> oh. So then police also investigated. This was a strong suspect here. Kevin Doyle, Uh-oh. an employee that Marianne had recently fired after he messed up on Motive. the job and had costed the company quite a lot of money. I saw two different... There's, there were several different things in this case where I saw conflicting stuff between different uh, sources. About Kevin? Um, the, the Forensic Files episode said that he was distraught and he had chose to leave on his okay. own. Um, and then I've heard reports that Marianne fired him. So either way, he kind of left on bad terms from the yeah, business. It's probably a who you ask to have some issues. Yeah. Well, either way, he was known to have some issues. He didn't uh, leave on good terms. Uh, and Let's say that. No. No. Um, and he was apparently very angry when he was when he either left. Uh, it see th- this part of it makes matches up more with Marianne firing him because he was supposedly very angry and he confronted Marianne and George before he left. He also, uh, when he left, had uh, still had a set of keys to the business, which lines up with the murder because you think the door was unlocked. It wasn't. There was no forced entry. Right. So whoever had done this had gotten in with a key or the door was left open by someone working there. It, you know, a la Marianne was staying late, so maybe she left the door true, unlocked. True, true. Unlikely. If she's working late, you you know, you're more likely to, to keep the place locked, I would think. I would think. think, but I mean, if the door was lo- unlocked throughout, throughout the day for employees to come and go back from lunch yeah, breaks and Yeah, and then you just yeah. stayed late and you never thought to exactly, go lock it. Exactly. You get comfortable there. I mean, she's worked there for 30 years. Yeah. Another odd thing about uh, Kevin Doyle was the day after the murder, he showed he had apparently heard about the, uh-huh. the murder um, and showed up to Al Zulo's, his former em- place of employment, and offered to return to work and help the business stay oh. afloat. So he tries to help the family. He's to like o- be overly uh, helpful. That's never a good sign. He's trying to implement himself. Right, the person that interjects yeah. themselves into the into the uh-huh. crime is not usually no, a good no, sign. No, no, no. We've seen this in so many cases. <laughs> Like when right. someone, especially if they didn't have a good relationship with the deceased, and all of a sudden they're like, "How can I help? What 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 can I help you do?" Yeah, yeah. There, so there's no lack of leads, you know, for investigators in this case. They're dealing with this, and then there's also the matter of Marianne's relationship with her longtime business partner George Hansen. Can't be overlooked. With whom she'd been, you know, co-owners of this company for the past thirty years, approximately. Um, and in everybody's business life, they didn't get along quite as well as it seemed to in the commercials. <laughs> no kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> although even watching the commercials, it just like you seemed see like George was just a stick, yeah. you know, just a stiff. Yeah, he was definitely putting on a face. Just a blank stare at the camera the oh, whole time. Oh god, yeah, he's putting on a face, man. He's a salesman, you know, second yeah. nature to him. He knew what he had to do to survive. He knew his role. There, I got to say though, there's good salesmen out there. I feel like we we. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, no doubt. Kind of no doubt. Shit on salesmen a lot in this. Yeah. Well, a lot, I, don't know, I don't know. But if you are, <laughs> let's say you're one of the good salesmen, you know some bad ones. The ones we're yeah, talking yeah, about. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know some bad ones. Y'all know what we're talking about. The phony yeah, people. There's a reason that Carvana and places like that are thriving right now. <laughs> right. Well, most people are antisocial at this point too. That's so true. That, that always That's helps. True. So uh, George said uh, George was heard by many saying that he felt Marianne didn't deserve the partnership that Al Zulo left her. Now remember, Al Zulo had left this company to the two of them to yeah. run, and George apparently felt that it should have just been left to him for some reason. Even though Marianne had been there before he had he had gotten gotten work at Al Zulo's, they'd both been there for a long time. Don't get me wrong, but Marianne was there first. And she was very pivotal in the company's success as well. She was the likable person in the company. Well, first I think of what all. happened here was this was a very smart decision by Zulo himself. He knew that George would run the company into the ground, 
but George's sales tactics yeah. could be utilized with someone who could wrangle him in, someone that, that Zulo could probably trust even Marianne. more than George, someone who's been there since the beginning, Marianne. Yeah. You know, but of course yeah. that angers George because at the beginning he doesn't have the free reins and the control of the company that he probably dreamed or thought he was going to have because probably him and Zulu went golfing together and all that shit, you know. Marianne would be in his way of siphoning every dollar out of this company for himself, right. as we'll see. Right. That <laughs> I, I wasn't going to say all that, but yeah, they're getting there. <laughs> She's the checks and balances. You know, maybe Al Zulu saw this coming. Yes. You have to, you have to wonder, right? The way it turned yeah. out. And, and let's, let's get to the, you know, the many things that pointed to old Georgie boy yeah. over here. Georgie. George. Um, on December 22nd, the day after her body was discovered, one of Marianne's friends named Linda Cleveland came forward with some information. She said that Marianne had planned to retire, but began her own investigation when she noticed some money was missing from Damn the it, business. Damn it, Marianne, just retire. She had re- <laughs> yeah, right, Marianne, just walk <laughs> just away. Just walk away, take your money. <laughs> Let George go to fucking jail for tax evasion exactly. or whatever he's going to get busted Sign it for. all over to George. Maybe send an anonymous letter with some uh, like information leading to his capture Ugh. after you retire. Right. I don't know. Something, man, if you could go back. Ugh. But she probably knew that, you know, then that would mean the end of Al Zulo's, uh, this business that she loved and the man that, you know, that left her this, it would all die. And the employees that she cared about, who they were supporting. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It was selfless what she no was doubt. doing. This was, I mean, she, she had her whole life planned out. She had plenty of money. She didn't need to do this, but she was doing it for the good of the business and for the other workers at this place. Or possibly to bring down George, um, which rightfully so, even if she was. Right. I mean, fair enough. The dude was fucking the company over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as she begins her own investigation, she noticed money was missing from the business. She had received information from clients and subcontractors that they hadn't received their payment. Uh, Marianne had visited her son on th- during Thanksgiving, uh, her son, the mailman, and told him and his wife that her brakes had been tampered with on her vehicle. And she believed that someone was trying to kill her. Mm-hmm. Um, she believed that someone wanted her death to look like an accident and hoped her brakes would go out on the highway. That's such an old Seriously. gag, right? I feel like that almost never works. Dude, no, not now. Because, like, guess what? You have to get to, like, the place where you go fast. You have to get to the highway, and you have to use your brakes to get there. Yeah. So, like, doing it in a way in which, you know, the brakes don't just give out when you're leaving your neighborhood. Yeah, well, here's the it, thing, right? And the, when you back, when tricky. you back, well, first off, when you, you have to put your foot on your brake to start your car, 90% of cars, okay? Yeah. If it goes to the floor, then just get the fuck out. <laughs> 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 I mean, it's that easy. Worst case scenario, say your brake is stuck there, right? And it still has enough fluid to hold your brake there, okay, for somehow. Yeah. When you go to put it in reverse and you go back, you're going to have to hit your brake before you back up or at the or at right. the entrance to the road or the exit of the parking lot or whatever you're doing. You're going to have to brake before you pull yeah. out. So it's going to become very apparent to you. Yeah, that old gag also, never made sense to me, dude. Also, anyone that's driven more than a year, I think, if their brakes went out on the highway, would would have the wherewithal to think, I'm going to slowly apply, apply the, the parking brake yes. until my car, and start going, slowly going to the right, and get into throw the shoulder, sig- and apply my parking brake until I come to a stop. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and let that baby like, coast. It's not like it's not like the movies where you're going down a, a you know, like a hill, a mountain, and there's just sharp corners, <laughs> and like you just f- fly off the fucking mountain Oh, you going mean it's 80. not like speed with Keanu Reeves? Or you're just like, yeah, like you gotta keep it above through 80. the fucking city. I don't have any but brakes. This is just so yeah, funny but take your is, foot off the gas. <laughs> it makes so much sense, though, doesn't it? That this murder, when we come to find out more about how dumb this person it is, does. like, that, of course they would try the old. Yeah, they're so trick. fucking Looney Tunes, fucking Wiley e. Coyote ass. <laughs> Looney Tunes is perfect, right? 
This guy's oh ridiculous. <laughs> she had also told her friend Linda that someone had been drugging her coffee at work. Um, pink residue was found in her cup one day, and she had been taken home from work that same day. This is like, once again, kind of comical. She was sleepy at work constantly because someone had been drugging her at work yeah. every day. And she was regularly known to pass out at work. And, and you know, there was some speculation that she was lazy and she was sleeping on the job. But then people that really knew her knew that wasn't her, that something was going on. And it would come to light that she'd been being yeah. drugged. On one of these days that she was drugged and had been taken home from work, earlier in that day, she passed out on the sofa because she'd been drugged. And the sofa was oh, set on fire. She wow. awoke to a fire on the sofa she was sleeping on, put the That's fire out, and amazingly didn't alert the police to, you know, what was going on on this. I know, right? Like, what could you possibly... How was that fire set up to be an accident? Because they had to have done something to make her, to give her doubt, to make her feel like, okay, maybe it was this candle or maybe it was electrical or something. I just don't get how you let that go. I just think that maybe her knowing this perpetrator, knowing this person very well, mm -hmm. uh, was just not afraid of him because he was just a joke, you know? Like, yeah. Maybe, I mean, obviously in the end, she was wrong on that, but. Like this is kind of like such passive aggressive ways of trying to kill a person. Like you drug them and then try to set the couch on fire. Like I don't know. Like it's, it's like ways you know it's not going to work. But yeah, yeah. She's like, all right. Like I, I'm going to take you down. You know, it's just a matter of time. And I don't know. Maybe she knew she was close to getting everything together enough to to get this person arrested. Yeah, maybe. I think at first with the sleep medication, I think he's just trying to make her seem incompetent, right? To where. Maybe they could justify getting rid of her and just firing her or pushing for her retirement. Maybe if he could get more people in the company uh, to back him. Do you think? Because it's just... But then you don't get the life insurance policy, which they had taken out on mm. each other. You need her to die gotcha. for that. 150K. True that, true that, true that, true that. It's quite a payout. So Marianne's autopsy would prove that she had been right about the drugging. Someone was drugging her. She had a sleeping aid in her system and uh, had died due to blunt force trauma to the head, as we know. Um, when questioned by the police, George denied any conflict and gave an extensive alibi. Once again, comical. Uh -huh. uh, his alibi is is pretty shocking yeah, let's and hear it. the weirdest alibi that we've we've heard on this show. I would say he said that on the night of the homicide, um, he had left work that day and enjoyed several vodka and squirts at the backyard bar and grill with his wife, followed by some brandy old fashions at the Singapore oh, bar and grill. Subculture. So. Bouncing away, bouncing around from bar to bar, getting hammered, where he bought, uh, he then bought a fifty dollars gift card. Yeah, why would he do that, that if he knew had... she was going to be dead? Right? I mean, <laughs> As an he alibi. definitely didn't kill her to prove that he liked her, and yeah. you know, he wasn't definitely wasn't the guy that no, bludgeoned her to no, death. No, he definitely didn't kill her. He couldn't have. He bought a fifty dollars. Then gift he card. said. Then he said, after having several uh, vodka and brandy drinks, he took his granddaughter to safety drive, safety first oh, driving school, and visited a tanning salon. So he's driving his granddaughter around drunk. Safety That's his first. alibi for the night of the murder. Safety first. Safety first. <laughs> See the irony that the place is called safety first when then, he's driving her there drunk. Okay, so so you went and got <laughs> drunk, drove around drunk with your granddaughter, and then went and got <laughs> skin cancer. That's your okay, cool. No, right. Wow, he is the type of douche that would go to a it tanning probably, salon, though. Oh, for oh, sure, right? God. He's oh man, Sheesh. yeah. It was a great contrast to his yeah. Snow White hair, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> he did have a bit of like a a stand-in for a mob film. Yeah, you kind of have that. Uh, kind of like one of the guys that gets whacked. He looks like one of the guys that gets the piano wire. Yeah, he's like the stunt double for Bob Barker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Meanwhile, 26 hours into the investigation, a witness was called. To, uh, a witness called the police. A man that lived along the Rock River uh, called and said that he had discovered a large black tra- uh, garbage bag on Uh-oh. the ice. So some, you know, you're driving over this bridge and you see a black trash bag sitting on white ice. Everything's white. Mm-hmm. It's going to stick out like a sore thumb. And then you also that morning may have caught the news and seen that a local businesswoman that was beloved by her community was murdered. Right. And you're thinking, hmm, that's interesting. A bridge, a black trash bag on the ice. I might want to call this oh, in. Oh, dude, I know. But if I called in every black trash bag I saw on the side of the road, right? I, True that. I know we've seen the memes, I always right? Think it's I, I can't be the only one that assumes every black trash bag on the side of the road is right? a dead body. And to be fair, probably one out of 30 is. One out of 30. So. Man. That's my odds, that, I yeah. think. That might even be low. I mean, yeah, unless maybe. you're talking, I mean, I mean, if we're going sports book odds, but there here, is, I'm, I'm going to set the line at under over 30. Right, right. I think most of the time it's just road cleanup crews. At least that's that's where you yeah. should dump your body. Like if you see a road cleanup crew with a bunch of trash bags, just throw your bag in there. No, if we've learned anything, <laughs> you do the Bob Berdella routine and you you put the body in the trash and you leave it out. At oh the yeah, curb. no big deal, right? And just put just, it out at the front of your house. Yeah, you freeze it first. Yeah. And then you put it out there so it doesn't ah. stink. Maybe even put it in front of your neighbor's house just to kind of throw them off if they do catch right. it. At least get yourself some more time. Yeah, exactly. While they're questioning Especially them, you if you don't dip. like your neighbor, then it's just a double whammy. Yeah, that's true. It's true. Yeah, whole other hate thy neighbor episode right there. <laughs> right, fear thy neighbor. So, uh, police, with the help of a local utility company, uh, used a large ladder truck to hoist the. This is a big ordeal getting this bag because this is dangerous. You had semi-frozen ice on a river there was patches of ice and then there was patches of water and um you had to have this big boom truck come out and on the bridge put a big old freaking hoist out there and get get this trash bag off the ice and it paid off because inside the bag were gloves marianne's purse with all of her identification in it a hammer and a yellow sweater this yellow sweater uh which contain which which formerly belonged to Al Zulo. This this was a historic sweater here. What Zulu's uh, not dead. This was Al Zulo's sweater. Holy shit! Zulu came back from the dead and did it. No, this <laughs> this sweater was this sweater uh, was like you know a, a thing that was used it, to remember Al Zulo by. It was like a right. it was a keepsake. It was a, a staple of this business. It 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 had hung around the office. Uh, well beyond Al Zulo's death and was worn by many in the office on ch- days where it was kind of chilly in mm-hmm. the office. People would throw that sweater on. Um, and it, it's just kind of eerie that it took part in this murder. You know what I mean? The, the killer wore this. There was It was clear that the killer had worn this sweater because there was blood spatter all over yeah. it. Um, Isn't it a... It had Marianne's blood on the outside It's like it. a symbol of the business, that sweater is, how it died it with is. this it's murder. Just, it's eerie. Yeah. It's eerie. That's something that almost should be like in a crime museum. Like I don't know. I mean, I know this is a lesser known yeah. crime. It's just but, like that thing is. It, it that's the picture of this story. Almost it could be the artwork for this episode. It, Michael is like that yeah. yellow sweater. With if that blood sweater on it. could talk, right? The shit that it's seen. Yeah, the shit it's seen. Oh my god! Went from being on the the owner for many yeah. years, and then being worn by people around the office, and being worn in the murder of one of you know the pivotal people. And in I'm this sure office. it. I'm Bizarre. sure it hung in the office of of Marianne or. George, I'm sure, on a coat rack or something, mm-hmm. you know. And, and I just had an image flash in my mind of how bizarre that must have looked. A man in a yellow sweater, like an old yellow sweater, using a hammer on a woman's head. Just yeah. like a, like a horror gloves movie, on. really. Yeah, just like a fucking horror movie. It's, it's freaky. 
his stupid fake tan and his white yeah. teeth, <laughs> his, his dentures. Yeah, he's he's a creep, bro. So then police get another witness, uh, a man named Jim Webster, who was a highway supervisor, also called the police. Um, he had no idea that this piece of information was about to reveal the killer. At around 6.30 a.m., two hours before the garbage bag was discovered, Jim saw a man on the, out, on the side of the road looking down at the river. Um, Jim said he stopped and asked the man if he needed help. He described the man as being in his 50s, and, 50s to 60s with white hair. He had also said the man uh, never answered him but gave him a blank look. Yeah. Jim uh, went to the police station after telling another officer what he had saw that day. Um, and there was also a woman who reported an SUV going back and forth on the bridge. And when she found out that there was this, you know, suspicious trash bag with murder accoutrement right. in it uh, found uh, on the ice uh, on the other side of that bridge, she reported the uh, what she had seen. And what she'd seen was this white SUV going back and forth on the bridge. And it had, uh, coincidentally, a vanity license plate that said Zulo 51, well, which... <laughs> That's kind of unmistakable. It was clear that it was uh, somebody who worked for the business of Al Zulo's, uh, you know. This is... Al Zulo's. This so. is one of many reasons why I don't get a vanity plate. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Although, if you're not out murdering people, it can almost prove your innocence. It's like... Um, yeah, it can, you know, but it also tells everybody who knows you and knows that car where you are. Like, if they go in, they're like, oh, look, look oh, Mike's here. Let me go in here and bother him while he's in Walmart or whatever the fuck. You know what I mean? Right. I'm like, nah. I would rather just drive a car that a yeah. lot of people have with a insignificant tag. Yeah, and I generally don't even like have stickers or anything Mm-mm. recognizable on my my vehicle no. either. Is it just like for the same reason? I'm like I don't really have to prove anything to strangers on the exactly. roadway. Exactly. Exactly. And when you put a sticker on your car, this is what I don't like about it. It's like let's say you have two stickers on your car, and that's the only thing people are going to think you all about those two things. Knowing damn well, knowing well, damn well that to ain't be true. fair, if it's a creeper stick, if it's a gold creep van sticker, then I'm all about it. Oh yeah, well for sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, like, I think people that put the gold creep van sticker on their car, they also have other things. They have like all their interests, and I feel like I yeah. just, I just don't have enough space on my window. I, I don't want people to get the wrong idea of me. I don't want them to think that I'm just into this or just into that, or because I have this sticker. Well, you could I'm be one of those this. people that has like eight thousand stickers on their car. Yeah. Then. Just to, to really ca- encapsulate every yes, part of yourself. Yes, that would, ha- would would be what I need to do, and I'm, there's no way I'm doing that. You got to have the stick family, then no, you got to have, you know. Forget it. <laughs> He's forget it. Forget it. Yeah, I don't, I don't have the window space for all that. But yeah, it's cool either way. Right. It's cool either way. So uh, police at this point had no doubt that they had their guy. George, uh, in their opinion, had clearly gone to the bridge. They had his license, you know, they had his vehicle going back and forth yeah. on that bridge. He had plenty of motive, and it seemed as though he had thrown the murder bag off the, the Roscoe Bridge onto the Rock River, but it landed on ice, which is just so common. And most of the river was thawed at the time. He just happened yeah. to hit a patch of ice. He's got to be like, <laughs> fuck! <laughs> fucking idiot, dude. It's not like there was an oh ice fishing God. hole he was trying to hit. The whole, like, oh 70% of the so river great. was thawed. I just hope it was, like, one little, like, three-by-three three patch oh, of ice, great. and it just happened to land exactly oh, on that. Oh, that'd be great. And apparently there oh, was no way down dude. to it, man. No, hell no. There was no way of getting um, down to it. The one of the, In the Forensic Files episode, there was a female female detective that was talking about it, and she was like... I just would have liked to seen his face when he threw that bag over. And instead of hearing a splash, he just heard like a flop. Heard- <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. It's just sitting there all neatly it's- preserved. And it's cold too. So stuff doesn't even start to, you know, deteriorate at all. 
Oh, yeah. that's perfect. No, it's just basically preserved like perfectly, and everyone that drives over that bridge <laughs> sees this suspicious black bag sitting on a white patch of ice. Beautiful. Uh, you literally couldn't have put it in a worse spot. Like, it's the most obvious thing ever. Like, someone in the comments of the Forensic Files YouTube video put, like, you literally couldn't have like made it more obvious unless you put like a speaker playing the national anthem or something out down there with right. it. Like, I just don't get it. Someone who ran a construction and contracting business, there were so many other ways to get rid of evidence and, and dispose, dispose of, of shit, anything. Right? You had to have like a trash right. service or like big dumpsters or yeah, yeah, know. right. You don't have like an incinerator on on site or or something. Like, I I just don't get it. I mean, I'm glad he's stupid. Because he he deserves to not pay only for that. This. I also just don't understand why you had to get rid of her fucking purse in the first place. Like they're clearly going to know that it's Marianne. You killed her in her workplace. Like, what's the point of getting rid of the fucking so like? It, what is so the it looks point? like a robbery? I don't get it. Just leave her purse there. So it looks like a robbery. That's it. That's the only thing I can think of. He's just he's trying to be more yeah. confusing. He didn't do a good job of that clearly because they determined right away that it was a staged oh, robbery because yeah. nothing else was taken other than her damn purse. So just because you open some drawers doesn't mean anything's gone. Like. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, he didn't. He wasn't that bright. He didn't think through all that. Yeah. So, uh, there was evidence aplenty as the the police began to look further into George. Skin cells found on the inside collar of the sweater that was used in the murder matched George's DNA profile. Now, to his, you know, to to go, you know, kind of play his side a little bit, it it was known that people around the office would wear that thing frequently, so it was possible that he wore it that Uh day put it back on the coat hanger in the office and then someone else put it on but unlikely i mean really what's more likely yeah, here really. uh and even more damning likewise the gloves that were found in the trash bag that contained marianne's blood on the outside also contained george's dna on the inside that's yes and i think it that's like smoking and i think gun it goes there. without saying these gloves definitely fit yeah <laughs> yeah they fit you perfect must not acquit <laughs> must not acquit uh and right. even more uh, comical inside the SUV, police found a rope and a fishing hook because he was apparently trying to retrieve the oh trash bag off the fucking. I ice. just see him there running like some <laughs> kind of like sandlot operation. To the left, people to are the left. imagine people are driving by and you're throwing this fucking grappling hook off the side, trying to get this trash bag back. God, he's a dipshit with his vanity plate that says the name of the business in which he killed the woman. Oh my god! Bro, you know so what dumb. would be easier? I just thought about this in hindsight. If you just like. If you took a shotgun over to the bridge, pulled up when no one was coming across, shot, shot the, the ice, ice right below the, water, the, bag the bag and drive in. away, dumbass. There you go. See? That's using your brain. Jesus. He's sitting here trying to or fish it out with a hook. Make sure when you throw something off a bridge that it's, it's going to land in water and not ice. Man, that'd be, uh, let's do it right the first well, time. Well, I'm sure he threw it off at dark, right? I mean, you're talking wintertime in Illinois. It was after work, yeah. so it was probably 6, 7 o'clock. Yeah. It was definitely dark. Um. So, but still, still, it's just, it's so funny. It's perfect. It's perfect karma for him. He deserves it. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. I mean, this guy never stood a chance at, at not getting caught. Oh, no, 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 no. Even if he throws he's it in the water, he's still fucked. Oh, yeah. I mean, even if they didn't find that, that bag of large damning evidence, they were still going to yeah, get him. Yeah. Maybe he gets a lighter sentence or actually, you know, possibly gets off on parole later on. Maybe he could work out some kind of sort of a plea right, deal, because right? Because there won't it, there won't be nothing concrete to really tie him. It'll all be circumstantial, yeah. and then the circumstantial he has an excuse for, like his DNA on the sweater, you mm-hmm. know, shit like that. But even the sweater wouldn't have been yeah. found. So, yeah. So after they learned of this information, the police uh, surveilled George. He had gone to a bar, un- unshockingly, and sat down to play video poker at a bar where he was arrested. 
When the police searched him, uh, they found a pink sleeping aid pill in his pocket, which matched the the you know the type of sleeping aid that was found in Marianne's cup at work. There's just another thing tying him. Like you couldn't have gotten rid of that fucking pill, you idiot. Right. Like apparently he on. didn't even stir her coffee up to like dissolve the pill. He just threw it in the bottom of the cup and then poured coffee on it. And just let it sit in her cup because there's actually a crime scene. The, the pill capsule just floats to yeah, the top. Yeah, there's, well, there's like, like a, what is this? Well, there's like a crime scene photo oh. of one of the of the last cup she used, and there's and it looks like gum almost in the bottom of her cup, and it's just sitting there. All that yeah, residue, yeah. it just sat there and dissolved and stayed flat at the bottom, and so she's gonna see yep. it after she finishes every cup of coffee. I mean, right? So and you know, it, it had to have made her coffee taste like shit, right? And, and and also George was also known to bring always known to bring her her coffee rather, always brought her coffee. Yeah, I don't know. I, well, that was nice of him. <laughs> yeah, I at least on the times where there wasn't poison in it. Uh, but when was that? It could have been never. He could have been giving her those sleeping pills forever, dude. <laughs> he's been doing it for the last right? thirty she just years. She's like this bitch doesn't she die. Just, she just thinks she's old and like her her she's energy level is running low or whatever. Yeah, yeah. she just adapted. It's crazy. Who knows how long she he's, he was doing that to her, though, honestly. Who knows? Yeah. No, for real. Yeah, I mean, he may have been doing it just to make her sleepy so that uh, she wasn't catching on to his money laundering and shit as oh, easily. Yeah. And like, yeah, yeah, no doubt. So on September 27, 2005, George would go on trial. The, he told police that uh, his story was that he had arrived at Alzulu and panicked when he saw Marianne dead. So his initial story was that he had nothing to do with any of it, and he just walked in with the other employee and found uh-huh. her. But then after the trash bag's found and all this evidence connecting him to the trash bag yeah. is there, you know, all his DNA inside the gloves and all that, he came up with a new plan in which he said that uh, when he walked in, he knew that he would be blamed for it. So he took all the evidence, you know, the the sweater, the gloves, put it in a bag and got rid of it. And he's like, that's where I screwed up. I shouldn't have done that. Oh, you think? Yeah, that's what sane murderers uh, do. And, they think they're going to get blamed for the murder right. they just did. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so despite his story, the prosecution laid out their overwhelming case against George. It was revealed that George and Marianne had $150,000 life insurance policies on each other. That year, some of the Christmas cards received from vendors and subcontractors included notes saying that they hadn't been paid. Marianne discovered George was pocketing the money that uh, that was owed to them. He falsified the books to hide his theft, which totaled around $100,000, which makes sense now that he would kill her because look, if you're you know, if you're getting busted for $100,000 in uh, corruption yeah. here or uh, oh yeah, uh, for embezzlement, what do they call it, fraud? Yeah, yeah $100,000 in fraud. You got it's it's kind of perfect that you got a, a person you could kill and get $150,000 life insurance payout on them and then you can Kind of, it, you can you even know, out the books. Cancels out that. that That's problem. right. You even out the books. Yep. You still have money in the bank, and then you get the business to yourself, and it all goes on. You yep. Know, and you have fifty thousand dollars extra to float you until things pick back up. Exactly. Yeah, yeah it was a great plan. So, um, Marianne had even told uh, police and her doctor about her suspicions of what had been going on with the fraud and with him potentially poisoning her. Um, the day she died, Marianne stayed late at the office to confront George about the embezzlement, according to her boyfriend. That was the only person that knew. Um, he was aware of the fraud that had been going on. He was aware that uh, Al Zulo's was actually uh, on the verge of bankruptcy because of you know George's embezzling and all the money they owed to different contractors and things like that. Right, right. So Marianne was trying to get all this squared away before she retired, and she was going to confront George about it. It's not clear why she chose to meet him alone after the you know frightening incidents in which he attempted to kill her. 
Um, her, even her friend, Clinda Cleveland, recalled that over breakfast at a, a pancake place in early December 2004, Marianne said that she feared something bad was on the horizon. Hmm. Uh, Maybe she just didn't and, think George uh, the, would ever go that far. She's like, I've known him for 30 years. Like, he's yeah. not going to do that. He did seem like a dipshit and like he was not really great at following through on something like this. So you can see by all of the cowardly attempts at like the. Yeah. All the sneaky, snarky stuff just, he's doing behind the scenes. Yeah. It leads you to believe he just yeah. doesn't have the balls to do it. He's not going to do it. Yeah. But when it came down to, I think this became like a moment of just rage when the confrontation went down and they were both alone in the office. He. He finally did it. You know, he just finally snapped. And, well, and, she uh, gave him an ultimatum. She said, you're going to come clean about this, or I am. I mean, I'm sure that's what happened. I mean, yeah. she's a stand-up woman. And he was potentially looking at jail time, yeah. you know. No doubt. So um, the, the prosecutors told the jury that George was wearing the yellow sweater while beating Marianne with a hammer during the argument over the missing money. After the initial attack, uh, attack George opened some drawers to make it look like the place had been ransacked, then realized Marianne was still alive and beat her mm. again. He stuffed the evidence into the gar- garbage bag, including the purse, uh, so that the attack would look like a burglary that turned into a homicide. And in her closing statement, uh, Margie O'Connor, uh, the prosecutor, warned the jury about George's guile. She said, quote, he made his living as a salesman and is trying to make the sale of his life. Yep. And not doing a very good yep. job of it, apparently. Uh Assistant public defender Frank Perry maintained that George was guilty on only stupidity and selfishness. Definitely guilty of stupidity as well as murder, I would yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And selfishness. Oh, yeah, lots of For selfishness. sure he's guilty of all three. How about that? Nope. The trifecta. <laughs> um, and that the contents of the garbage bag added up to nothing more than circumstantial evidence. There was no blood in his car. Although, there was bloody gloves with his DNA on the inside and hers on the outside. A sweater with his DNA on the inside and hers on the outside. I don't know how much you, more you could have. Literally, I've never... I, yeah. Have you ever seen a case with and more like him, perfectly preserved fucking forensic evidence right. than this? Like DNA on the outside of a glove uh, of the, the murdered woman and then DNA of the murderer on the inside? I mean, that's like a yeah, perfect that, shut and close case right there. That's, that's closed book. We're done. Thanks for coming, everybody. <laughs> Let's go get lunch. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're a prosecutor, you're like, this is exactly what you're oh, hoping yeah. for. This is like the perfect fucking dream scenario. That's two smoking guns. Let's go. Yeah, and like the bag is found, and there was like the 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 person that worked with her was seen driving back and forth on the bridge where the bag was found with his vanity license plate. I mean, you just can't have a more perfect Absolutely case. Absolutely not. Absolutely, and all the motive in the world to do it. Yes, exactly. A life insurance policy, mm-hmm. once again, that he benefits from. Um, so on September 30th, George was found guilty of first degree murder and was sentenced to 60 years in prison without the possibility of parole. The police said it took no longer, or it, the police said it took longer to find a foreman than it did to convict George. <laughs> They're just poking at him, even <laughs> still after he gets convicted. I love it. <laughs> Way to go, Brainiac. Uh, and George still maintains his innocence as he serves his sentence at the Pontiac Correctional Center, Maximum Security Prison. I love it when they actually interview the murderer themselves in like the Forensic Files episode. And, you know, it's funny because it's like early on, you're like, hey, this is a guy that worked with her. This is like a main suspect, and he's like sitting here inter- being interviewed, but then you look and you're like, wait, he's wearing a blue jumpsuit. Yep. Like, this this is a little suspicious yeah. here. Well, they tried to film him, you know, from the collar up, so you could have thought he was just wearing yeah, like a still- blue-collared shirt at first, but then when you look at the blank walls <laughs> behind him and shit, you're like, mm. <laughs> Dude, that's right. literally what gave it away for me. That was my only complaint about yeah. the uh, Forensic Files episode. I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, George did it. Yeah, put a painting or something behind yeah. him so that you know you don't give it away right yeah, away. Yeah, seriously, give him a suit jacket to wear or something. You throw that shit over him. Like, right. what's the big deal? You know, he gave it away. Right. But still an interesting story. Um, a crazy case yeah. on how just day-to-day operations can turn downright deadly. 
Yeah, and and don't ignore your spidey senses. Like she had plenty of, uh, you know, Marianne. We're not we're not victim blaming no, by no, any no, no. means, but you know, she 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 was suspicious uh, that you know her her uh, business partner may want to kill her. She told her friends this. She had there were signs pointing to this. You know, she'd been drugged. Yeah. And the couch she was sleeping on caught fire. For God's sake, you like, just never know what extent people are willing to go to to save their ass. Don't ignore these signs is all we're saying because, you know, this is eventually they may go further than you think they're willing to go like Hell this. Hell yeah. You know what else goes way? And sadly. Go ahead. Sadly, this would spell the end of uh, Al Zulo's remodeling as it had also been closed mm. and was left in shambles after the murder. Several people called because they, uh, they hadn't been paid and homes were left unfinished. Uh, wow. So there's some homes out there that are. In a way, like a memorial, because it's like half done by Al Zulos and then half done by whoever right, else. Still got that Zulo construction. Uh, had to come in and finish the still job. Still got that Zulo construction yeah. yard sign in the yard, just rotting away. Oh. Yeah, almost completed by Zulo so. construction. <laughs> yeah, right. Wow, what a case, guys! Oh, what a case. Yep. One of the dumber, the dumber murderers we've ever covered for sure. No doubt. And uh, tragic from the standpoint of Marianne, who seemed like a, a really, really great woman. So. Yes, and at that point of her life, just about to hit those golden years. I know, it's a bummer. Such a bummer. Such a bummer, man. All right, Guys, man. if you can buy out your retirement early, just do it, because you don't know what's, what's going to happen tomorrow. You know what I mean? You really don't, man, especially nowadays. This world's crazy. If you got a year left and you you know you know maybe you'll get a hundred dollars less per month or something, just get out because you could fucking have a heart attack tomorrow and then you worked all that time and you never even got to enjoy your life. I, <laughs> I feel that so much. Or someone could beat you over the head with a hammer. You just yeah, don't know. you do not know. You do not know. But and the best thing is, you know, your retirement will go further if you're using oh my god deodorant with our code word creeper because you're going to save ten percent. That's true. That's true. That's going to help That's you. That's true. And oh my god, it just naturally lasts longer. Than, than your typical deal as well. well. More bang That's for your right. buck. That's right, guys. If you don't know what oh my guy is. And less likely to get cancer or something like that because you're not putting in aluminum well, in pits. Getting cancer is expensive. That's right. Cancer may be the most expensive thing to have. A lot to of do. treatment. Yeah, seriously. Guys, oh my Gaia, you got to try it. It's an innovative, all natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. At Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural, paraben, and aluminum-free organic ingredients. And guys, there's definitely a scent for you and your style. Or you could, like I do, I like to get multiple scents. I like to mix it up. But there's tons of scents from vanilla, cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle, fireside, uh, bergamot amber, barbershop, sailor, sweet pea, pear, and True Crime, guys, we have our very own scent called True Crime Pine that has our OG podcast logo on there, the very first one me and Lauren started with way back in January of 2017. And you guys can get that anytime you want at ohmygaia.com or at shop underscore ohmygaia on Instagram. And because you guys are True Crime Guys listeners, you can use the word creeper for 15% off, C-R-E-E-P-E-R. And again, that's at shop underscore oh my Gaia on Instagram and ohmygaia.com. O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com. Guys, you won't regret it. Yeah, and uh, do you want to shout out, plug plug uh, Patreon real quick? Uh, Patreon yeah, and, sort, and, and our other show, Sandu, while I look up some people to shout out for writing reviews for us? Absolutely. Love to tell people what's going on on Patreon. Patreon.com slash true crime guys. 
Real quick, right below the description of this episode, you will see a link to True Crime Guys link tree. It says everything True Crime Guys. Click that link, guys, and you can get to the Patreon. You can get to our show on Spotify. You can get to our merch sites. And you can also get access to our other show, Strange and Unexplained. But Patreon.com is where we put all of our extra content. We do another show every Friday called Just the Banter, where on Thursdays we make a post on Patreon. We ask uh, listeners and patrons what any questions they have for us, any uh, would-you-rather scenarios, anything like that. It's all fair game. You drop your questions on Thursday. On Friday morning, we record them, and then we post it on Friday night. Every single week, you get some type of interaction with us from True Crime Guys. And then every fourth episode is a Patreon exclusive, which will only be released on Patreon. So if you don't see an episode on the free feed, it's because we're over on Patreon that week. So for just two bucks a month, you guys can get access to that free episode. And Just the Banter is on the $5 tier. And then on the $10 tier, we do a monthly Zoom call with listeners. Um, as well as you get your prestigious Creep sticker, uh, the Golden Creep Band sticker, which you can also get at the $5 tier. So a lot going on at patreon.com slash guys. And if you're already a patron and you're already caught up, you're like, Michael, I already know about all that stuff. Well, do you know about Strange and Unexplained that gets released every Monday on the free platform? It is another show on True Crime Guys Productions where we talk about unsolved, um, missing persons, weird phenomenon, a little more cult shit. We do a lot of that stuff over there. Uh, cases that don't get a lot of coverage. Uh, cases involving missing people of color. All that type of stuff. We like to talk about that stuff on Strange and Unexplained, where I give you the background, I give you the facts, uh, maybe a little music, whatnot, and then Lauren gives you his synopsis of the case where he studies separately. And we do that every week on Strange and Unexplained. So, and if you love that show and you want to support that show, there's also a Patreon for that show, patreon.com slash podcast. You got a little taste of Sandu's stories last week on the main feed here. Yes, that's right. If you don't like that, that, I don't know what to tell you. That was an awesome story. Very well written by Michael and his my, his wife, and I would like to say that I think I did a decent job of playing an old man in that. Uh, you as a did voice a actor. phenomenal job. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you did to uh, to get that voice? <laughs> uh, I was surprised. I went full Godfather, and I put like uh, I put a cotton ball in in my uh, my bottom lip just to kind of like yes. make my my cadence a little different and my voice sound a little different and like give me a little Dude, bit of a, a a hiss to my voice or a, like a whistle. Yeah, I got really into it. it. It really worked, man. You sounded like you were on your deathbed at times. It was pretty, it was crazy. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we had a lot of fun doing that episode. So. Yeah, that was awesome. And I, I'm a big fan of like Alcatraz history too. I, I did the tour uh, a few years back and had such a great time that like, I love just hearing stories about that. So, hell yeah. Right All right, let's get into some shout outs for people that have uh, taken the time to go and rate and review the show on iTunes. I want to say thank you to Joker314 in the U.S. said, Bingeworthy, recently found and have been hooked. By the way, I'll be in Vegas next week. Go Ravens. So I'm guessing he's in town currently and going to the Monday night game in Las Vegas, the Raiders versus the Ravens. And hey, I'm cool with that because I'm, I'm not a Raider guy by any means. Yeah, and just because I grew up either. in Vegas Good doesn't luck. mean I'm going to become a Raider fan. So. Um, Although I hope the Raiders I, do well, I have two of their key players on my fantasy team. So you do have Josh Jacobs and Darren Waller on your uh, yes on your yes. fantasy league that we are running on Patreon. That's another perk of Patreon. You can get in on oh, things yeah, like that, true. interactive things. We have all patron league members in a twelve man league with us. So yes, sir. And you got to feel for the Ravens as well, uh, losing three out of their four running backs in like a week to uh, season ending injuries. Just horrible luck so far for them. So <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see, see how that plays can, out. We'll see if they can still make it work. Um, 
Then we got Jay Kinda in the U.S. said, one of my favorite podcasts, second uh, to True Crime Kent, but still great pod and would suggest to anyone. <laughs> True so, Crime Kent is pretty good. That's uh, that's Dark Topic production or 1159 Productions, rather. That's yeah. uh, Luna's involved in that and The Operator. That is a funny show. That's a, that's a cool show. Yeah. Then we got Daniel in Orlando in the U.S. said, "Good men do exist. Well researched, like uh, real, well researched conversations about some dark subjects, and like hanging out with your best intelligent bros." Thank you. Wow, I don't know about intelligent, but we appreciate that, bro. We try. I mean, we try to talk <laughs> smarter every now and then, you know. Yeah, every now and then we hit a lick. Yeah, and then every now and then our dumb selves comes out. <laughs> true that. True that. <laughs> I mean, it's it's inevitable, right? With this many right. hours on the mic, you're gonna oh, say yeah. a lot of dumb shit. Yeah, I've just accepted it. I'm sure you have. Those as well. of you listening, you probably would too. Oh yeah, they know. They know already. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, um, we're about to go watch some football. It's week one. You guys already that are listening to this on Wednesday already know what what went down. But man, we're about to enjoy the chaos. So, yes, hope you guys have a fantastic go. week. If you're a Patreon member, we'll see you Friday for just the banter. Otherwise, we'll see you for another episode next week. Talk, get you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder charming.